Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is brought to our church by Micah Bosworth, who pastors Ridgepoint Baptist Church in Wenatchee, Washington. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Let's go to John chapter number three, all right? John chapter number three is where we're going to be tonight. There we go. Now I can hear myself. John chapter number three. probably be good if I turn in my Bible to the same spot you are, right? John chapter 3. It's kind of, normally I have like a lapel or something, so I'm like doing this all one-handed. All right, yeah, all right, well, uh, of course, this past Sunday, some of you know this past Sunday, we just had a community Sunday at our church over there in Wenatchee. It was a good Sunday. We had a few guests show up. Um, they showed up uh, for setup accidentally, not on purpose, but they uh, went online and saw, uh, thought they saw 9.30 instead of 10.30. So they showed up an hour early and they, they'd stayed and ended up helping us uh, set up and then uh, come into the service, which is great. And then a lot of the outreaches that we did leading up to it, we did a first responder outreach, a few blitzing uh, outreaches. And then uh, I think did I mention that I got to meet the mayor and things like that? No? Okay. In the course of a lot of those things, uh, we got some emails from some of our city council and got to meet the mayor, Mayor Coons from Wenatchee side. And then um, the uh, East Wenatchee mayor emailed us and uh, both of them just thanking us for what we were doing in the community. They had already heard of our name, which is, wow, awesome. They've heard of our church and uh, what we're doing there. So uh, it was a good week, a couple of weeks leading up to that. And uh, just excited to see what God's going to continue to do, you know, as we uh, just reach into the community and see uh, him work in and through our church. So how many of you there? John chapter three, you there? All right, let's go. uh, Let's stand just for the reading of God's word uh, tonight for just a moment. We're going to read verses 22 down to verse 30. Pretty well-known passage if you've been in church for any length of time, especially that last verse that we're going to read might stick out or be one that you've heard quoted often. Uh, But I really want to help us tonight with something that the Lord has really been beating me up about recently. (laughs) Uh, This is something that I've been convicted about very recently uh, just in my growth with the Lord and and studying his word. And so I hope that uh, it'll be a help tonight. So John chapter number three starting in verse number 22. The Bible says this, after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also, John the Baptist now is who's talking about, John also was baptizing in Anon near Selim because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness. That I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. 
He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. Let's go to our God in a word of prayer, ask him to bless this time, and then we'll dive right into the word tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. Lord, to just be in your house. Lord, to be able to worship together and sing to you. Lord, we truly do mean the words, we love you. If ever we loved you, Lord, we love you now. Your goodness, your grace to us each and every day. Lord, thank you so much for that. Thank you for your word. The fact that it's a living and an active book, Lord, it it can pierce to the dividing asunder of even our soul and spirit. And Lord, it can convict and correct and help. And Lord, we pray that tonight you would do just that through it. Lord, that you would help us to grow in you, uh, that you would, Lord, encourage us, but also, Lord, that you would convict and challenge our hearts tonight uh, with this thought as we look at John the Baptist's response. We love you. We thank you uh, for this time together. We pray that you bless it and speak to us in a great way. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. In, um, in our marriage, in mine and Rebecca's marriage, uh, and really in, in probably in every marriage, uh, but in mine and Rebecca's marriage, there are three little words that are uttered to each other all the time. I mean, they're uttered often, and they should be, for good reason, uh, said back and forth to one another. Uh, these words, they can be said anytime, and they should probably be said even more than they already are said. And those three little words, you probably know what I'm talking about. Those three little words are this, get over yourself. <laughs> those aren't the, aren't the words you were thinking, was it? You're thinking, I love you. That's a good thing that should be said in all marriages, okay? But the thing is uh, said often in our marriage, get over yourself. I don't know where it started, uh, but sometimes we just needed to, in the process of our marriage, uh, say those words to each other, whether it was in a a disagreement, one of us was being petty, whatever the case was, uh, with our op- uh, how open we can be with each other, we would just look at the other one in the face and say, get over yourself. So I want you real quick, look to someone nearby, okay, look at them right in the face and say this, get over yourself. Okay, especially if it's your spouse, say it, all right? Say, it's not about you, all right? Say, it's not about you, get over yourself. Now, hey, we're not supposed to do this, okay? Uh, in church, but I want you to get out your phone if you have a camera on your phone and put it in selfie mode, okay? Look at yourself in the face and say these words, get over yourself, all right? Get over yourself, right? Sometimes we just need to be reminded that not everything's about us, right? Sometimes we just need to be reminded that, um, that we need to humble ourselves. Sometimes we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, And we just need to be reminded to be humble. I hope that we'll see that tonight as we look into the word of God, because we see a very humble response, a response of humility from John the Baptist. Uh, In our passage, of course, we get there and it says that after those things had happened, of course, uh, in 
previous in the chapter, uh, Jesus was talking to a man by the name of Nicodemus, and well-known verse that we would all most likely be able to quote, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3, 16, right there. And it says, after that conversation, after all these things had happened, Jesus and his disciples went into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them, and it says that people were being baptized, okay, from the ministry of Jesus. And John, the baptizer, John the Baptist, okay, that is what we know him as, was also baptizing in an area where there was a lot of water. And John, it tells us John was not yet cast into prison, okay? So uh, if you know anything about John the Baptist, he eventually gets thrown in prison uh, because he calls out uh, the king for a very bad relationship and says you're in sin and he gets put in jail and long story short gets beheaded because of just more sin in the life of the king. But John the Baptist wasn't yet cast into prison, wasn't yet arrested yet. And it says, so there, a question arose between some of John's disciples and some of the religious leaders about purifying most likely because baptizing was taking place. They were asking about the purifying their rituals of mikvah and things that they would have done in baptizing and, and ritualistic cleaning. Most likely that's what came about. So it just, uh, John here giving us some details about what's leading up to then these disciples, okay? Some, somewhere in the conversation, most likely they heard or were told very specifically that Jesus was also seeing a lot of people baptized because of his ministry and that a lot of people were coming to Jesus. And so John's disciples come to him and say this. They say, Rabbi, teacher, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth and all men come to him. Some, you know, some people will tell you the craziest things. <laughs> like, like, it's almost like they forgot what John the Baptist's ministry all was all about because they come up and they say, hey, you know the guy who you baptized in the Jordan, he was with you over there and, and you've been bearing witness of him, you've been telling people about him coming? Yeah, apparently a lot of people are starting to follow him now and, and people are starting to get baptized because of his ministry. Uh, and and they, it's almost implied that they're saying, what do you think about that, John? I mean, a lot of people are now not following us. They're following Jesus. And the reason I think we, that's implied is because John then replies and says, uh, a man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I'm sent before him. He's like, yeah, <laughs> uh, you heard me say, I'm not the Messiah. I'm sent before the Messiah. I was paving the way for him. And he says, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He's like, I'm not the groom in this situation. I'm the best man. He's, he says, Jesus is coming for his bride. All right? Jesus, the Messiah, the groom, he's the main guy. This, this isn't my stage. This is his day. This is, this is his stage. I'm just the best man there to support him and lift him up. Uh, I think of, have you ever been, I, I hope you've never been to a wedding where this happens. Maybe you've seen it on the internet that uh, 
like the best man or one of the groomsmen or something proposes to their girlfriend during the wedding reception of the couple, if that would have happened at our wedding, someone would have been getting slapped, okay? That doesn't, this is our day. What are you doing? This isn't your day, okay? This is, this is our day. And John's like, yo, that's not what takes place, right? I'm the best man. I'm here to support the groom. And because of his voice, I have joy. I have great joy because of what's taking place in this. My joy has been fulfilled. He must increase. I must decrease. And I love, love, love this response. Why is it a big deal? Why, why is it so significant that John the Baptist has this response? Well, because if you were to look at it, John the Baptist was kind of a big deal, right? John the Baptist, uh, he was said of Jesus. Jesus said this about John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist is the greatest man who's ever been born on this earth. Like greatest human, he, he's the guy. That's Jesus's words that John the Baptist was the greatest born among women. Uh, John, at this point, had already seen lots of people come to repentance and turn back to God and be baptized under his ministry. In fact, most, if not a good portion, at least, of Jesus's followers most likely first heard of the Messiah through the ministry of John. So, John's kind of a big deal. In fact, if you keep studying out and you go to the book of Acts, we, we meet a man by the name of Apollos, who before most likely this took place, Apollos hears from John his message of the Messiah is coming, repent, turn back to God. All of you who have turned away from him, the Messiah has come and you need to turn back to him, get baptized uh, to show your repentance and then move forward. And Apollos, he does so. He believes back in God, repents, turns back to God, gets baptized and then sends out and starts preaching John's baptism. Not even knowing that Jesus, the whole time he was preaching John's baptism, Jesus lived his life, had his ministry, died, uh, and, and was buried, and rose again, okay? Because when you find him in the book of Acts, uh, there's two people, Aquila and, Priscilla, and Aquila and Priscilla have to tell Apollos, uh, hey, you don't have the full picture. This, there's the Messiah that you're preaching that John said was coming, like he came, and he did everything. And Apollos then was able to reach people because he then had a more excellent uh, knowledge of Jesus, the Messiah. But why do I point all of that out? It just goes to show you that John had a pretty big ministry. John the Baptist really was kind of a big deal. So it's very significant that this same John, who is kind of a big deal, says to his own followers, hey, this is not about me. This has never been about me. This is all about him. This is all about Jesus. In fact, the fact that all of these people are now following him rather than me brings me joy. Why? Because he must increase and I must decrease. More people need to be following him than me. Why? Because he's the, he's the guy. <laughs> it's not about me. It's about Jesus. Well, how could John remain so humble when all of this takes place? How could, how could he have such a humble response when his disciples came to him and asked him about this situation? Well, we'll get to that in a moment, okay? We'll come back to that question in just a moment. Uh, 
And when we get to that question, you know we're almost at the end of the, at the, end of the message, okay? Let's take a side note to say this. Uh, John showed great humility. And I think oftentimes we, because of pride, forget that we're supposed to respond like this throughout our entire life. I want us to kind of build on that. Talk about pride a little bit tonight. First of all, let me ask you this. I got this right here. How many of you know what this is? Anybody know what this is? Go ahead. Say it out loud. What? Smoke alarm, smoke detector. I was hoping you'd say that because it's not, but it looks like one, right? It's a carbon monoxide detector, all right? See, the reality is smoke can be seen. Smoke can be, you can smell smoke, right? Carbon monoxide, on the other hand, uh, the CDC, I don't know if you trust the CDC anymore, but the CDC says, okay, they say carbon monoxide is the silent killer. That's what they call it, the silent killer. Uh, Carbon monoxide is, uh, detectors are vital. In fact, uh, in most, if not all now, uh, building codes, in order to build a building, you have to have some kind of carbon monoxide detector in the building uh, to get approved for a lot of things uh, because of the, just the fact that it is such a vital thing uh, to save lives. Uh, because carbon monoxide is lethally dangerous, it's said that about 50,000 people a year find themselves in the ER because of carbon monoxide, and about 400 people a year die because of carbon monoxide. And what makes carbon monoxide so dangerous is because it's colorless. You can't see it like you can smoke. It's odorless. You can't smell it. It's tasteless. It's virtually undetectable, at least by our our, uh, senses, undetectable. In fact, carbon monoxide could be in the room right now, Okay, except for the fact that I have this and it would be beeping at us, all right? Uh, Carbon monoxide could be in the room right now and we wouldn't even know it. It could be seeping through this entire room and it it would slowly start to affect your body. Uh, All of a sudden, you'd get a little nauseous. You would uh, maybe get a headache. You would start feeling the symptoms of what carbon monoxide would do in your body. And before you know it, you could even die from a toxin that you didn't even know was there. A toxin you didn't even know was there. Now, obviously, we're not talking about carbon monoxide tonight, right? I mean, that's probably not what the message is about. But I do want to talk about a silent killer, and that is pride. Pride, I think, is the silent killer of sin, or uh, the silent killer of all sins. Uh, Pride is the carbon monoxide of sin. Pride uh, is that sin that is slowly, secretly, suddenly just seeping into your heart and your spirit, sometimes without us even knowing that pride is there. And it suffocates God's plans and purposes for our lives many times, and we don't even know that it's there. But pride will destroy your life. Pride will destroy your life. Pride We'll keep God from doing all that you, abundantly and exceedingly even more than you could ask or think. God, pride will keep that from taking place in your life. Pride is what destroys marriages. Pride is what tears family apart. Uh, Pride is what uh, hurts 
excuse me, relationships. Pride is, is what makes people hold on to bitterness and not forgive for long periods of time. Pride is why family members don't talk to each other for years. Pride is what shuts down churches. Uh, it, it hurts ministries. It kills companies. Pride can do all of that. Nothing will hinder God working in and through your life quite like pride will. But pride's an interesting thing because of the fact that it seems undetectable sometimes. Augustine said this, that pride is the sin beneath your sin. Pride is the sin beneath your sin. There can be issues in your life that on the surface seem to be one thing, but after some digging, you find out that really it was just pride. Like, give us some examples, Pastor Michael. All right. <laughs> uh, on the surface, you might think the issue is uh, anxiety or worry, but really, if you really start to dig into it, many times the, the root of that is pride. On, on the surface, you might think that uh, you have some indecisiveness about God's will in your life, about, I, I don't know if I can serve in that ministry. I don't know if I can do that in the church. I don't know if I can take that next step. Uh, but really, once you start then breaking those things down, why am I not taking that? Well, because I might not be any good at it. People might look at me and be like, oh, they're a failure. People might see that I am not good at that thing, or may, I, I, I just don't know. It looks like fear, even. The sin might look like fear to take the next step. But really, when you start breaking it down, it's, I don't want to look bad. I don't want to, Right? And at the root of it, it's, it's pride. It's pride at the root of bitterness. Why? Because you're bitter at that person because you think you deserve better from them. It's pride. Pride is at the root of every fight you have in your life. It says in the book of Proverbs that only by pride comes contention. There's contention in any relationship or in your marriage uh, or in, in really any relationship between ki uh, kids and parents, between friends, between family members of any kind, there's contention, there's pride right there at the root of it. Pride is the root of anger. Pride really is, as Augustine said, the sin beneath your sin. Pride is there. Pride preceded the fall of man. <laughs> pride, uh, what, what did Satan do to make Eve take the bite. He appealed to her pride. Well, you could be like God. You could, but pride was even there before that. Pride is what makes made Satan the angel, the worship leader of heaven, so to say. He was literally created with musical instruments as part of his being uh, there every single day saying, all right, let's sing that bridge 1,723,000 time tonight. Holy, 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 lift it up, all right? And then the next day, what? Pride. You know, I, I'm pretty bright too. I mean, he's the bright and, and morning star. Jesus is the shining one, but I'm, I'm pretty bright shining as well. Maybe I should get some of the glory here. And pride is what made even the angel fall and become the devil. Pride is so, so destructive. You know, pride can sometimes be hidden even behind false humility, right? Uh, pride can sometimes, we, uh, the person who uh, says, no, I'm, I'm just a nobody, no one really cares about me, no one calls me, no, I'm kind of not on anybody's radar, and so I'm just a nobody. 
What's that saying? Oh, I, they should be calling me, and they should be. And sometimes it comes off as maybe some false humility, but at the root of it, there's pride. There's pride. The, the, pride, the Bible says that pride comes before destruction, and a haughty spirit comes before a fall. What, what takes place when there's pride in our life? Eventually, destruction. Eventually, you'll fall. The Bible says that God resists the proud. And then James, in the book of James, when he says God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, a few verses later, he says that we're supposed to resist the devil. Think about that. We're supposed to resist Satan. But if we have pride, God is resisting us. So what do you think Satan, the enemy, is going to try to attack us with? Pride. Because if God's resisting us, then we have no assistance help from God that, that, that when it says God uh, resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, that grace is that assistance, that enabling strength that God can give us. We don't have that to resist the devil if we have pride because God is resisting us. Every time I read that verse, I think of the fact, have you ever uh, seen someone try to run against the wind? <laughs> or have you ever done it? Maybe you've seen a video of someone like with an umbrella walking against the wind, right? And they can't do it because it's just coming so hard at them. Think about it like this, that eventually you're gonna get tired. Pride comes before destruction, haughty spirit before a fall. When you have pride, you have that wind resistance, but it's God resistance, which is way worse than wind resistance. And you consistently try to go up against it. You're gonna start to break down. You're gonna start to get tired and eventually you're gonna fall. God resists the proud, but I love it because it says he gives grace to the humble. That's like wind assistance. Have you ever run with the wind behind you? You feel like you're going 100 mile an hour. You're like, Wah. you know, right? The people at, uh, at the Olympics and track running uh, events, they love when they have the wind assistance, the wind behind them, because it's like every step they take, the wind takes them an extra foot, every single step, and uh, it just helps them get right along. And that's what that verse is illustrating is, hey, when you have pride, God is pushing against you. You, you can't get through life very easily. Why? God's resisting you. Get rid of the pride. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He'll lift you up. He gives you grace. It's like wind assistance. Whoa, why? Why was that so easy? Well, you had the grace of God on your life because you humbled yourself before him because it's him doing the work and not us. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Pride, it's not only, God doesn't just resist us when we're proud, but pride is also deceitful. Pride is very deceitful. Pride, in contrast to other sins that bring us lower in life, Pride gives us a false sense of height. You know, when, when you get to a certain point of other sins, you, you, you feel low, right? Whereas pride, it's a sin that makes you feel like you're not at a point of destruction. Like, it gives us this false sense of height in our Christian life. We think, because of our pride, we think that we're doing better than we actually are because we're not falling into some pit of some other sin. And that's why pride is one of the most dangerous sins we have to deal with, because it's, it's deceitful. Galatians 6.3, Paul says this, if any man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. I don't know if you caught what Paul said there. He, every time I always read that verse, 
Every time I always read that verse, in my mind, I read it this way. If any man thinks himself to be something special when he's really nothing, he deceiveth himself. That's not what Paul says. Okay, is that the connotation you kind of put in your, oh, someone thinks there's someone else. There's something special, but they're really not something special. That's not what Paul says. You look up the word that is translated something, it's the Greek word tis, which literally, it's an indefinite pronoun, which means anything. You look at other words that are translated in our Bible, a lot of times it's certain. So certain number of the Jews, and certain of the Jews said, okay? It's like, I don't know the number, so I'm just gonna say certain, okay? Uh, Many times it's translated diverse, like uh, it's just a various amount, okay? So literally what Paul is saying is, if someone thinks himself to be anything except for nothing, he deceives himself. Literally, if we think ourselves to be anything else but nothing, we deceive ourselves. Whoa. <laughs> you know, I think I got this Bible reading thing down pretty well in this prayer life. I, I think I got it down. I haven't missed a day in like four years. Whoa, what? You think yourself to be literally anything but nothing. You're deceiving yourself. It's only by the grace of God that you've never missed a day in that long right? It's only by the grace of God that we are anything. And that's why it's so amazing to think of the fact we really are nothing. Okay. Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. Why? Because we are nothing. It is all him in and through us. Look, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer tonight and say, you're nothing. You, none of us are worth anything. And we're all dirt. That's where we came from. We are literally nothing. And anything that we think that we are other than that, we're deceiving ourselves. So how easy would it be for pride to lift its ugly head and rear its ugly head into our lives? Oh, man. But for the grace of God, we are nothing and we can do nothing. That's why it's such an amazing thing that God sees us saw us in our sin and, and still, despite that, commended his love toward us. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. Even much more amazing when you think of it that way. So if pride is so deceitful, if, if it's so destructive, if it is so easy to slip into pride, but it is often undetected, how do we diagnose it in our lives, right? Don't you wish there was like a pride monoxide detector? <laughs> like, beep, 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 uh, you're being prideful. Pride is rearing its ugly head. Wouldn't it be nice? Just doesn't quite work like that. One man I was listening to, one pastor uh, said this about pride. He said, pride is like bad breath. Many times you're the last to know you got it, but it's affecting everybody, <laughs> Right? Man, pride, how do we detect it then? How do we diagnose pride in our own lives? Well, the Bible gives us a lot of ways, and just for sake of time, I'm not gonna dive into every single verse of these, but here's some questions to ask ourselves. Because really, especially if we look at the fact that John's response was one of humility, consistently as I see through the Bible, uh, pride really comes up in our response to things. So let me ask this, how do you respond to rejection. And someone doesn't, doesn't like your idea or doesn't like 
maybe even you. <laughs> well, how do you respond to that, right? How do you respond to criticism? Someone says, hey, I, I noticed you were doing that. I, I don't think that's something that you should do. Many times, even loving criticism. How do you respond to that? Do you get defensive? Do you uh, deny it? Well, no, 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 that's not me. Or, or, or wait, well, that, but you don't know the whole situation. How do we respond to, to criticism? How do we respond to praise? Man, you did such an awesome job there. Man, that was awesome. Hey, in, in that Bible discussion, that thing you said was whew, right to my heart. Thank you. How do we respond to that? Oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I did word that pretty well, didn't I? How do we respond to even praise in our life? How do we respond to other people's success? Ooh. (laughs) How do we respond to other people's success? Hey, God blessed us this week. This took place. Well, why did he do that to them? I know what they're doing out. When they're not here in church, I know what they're doing out there. How did God bless them? Why am I not getting the blessings? Right? How do we respond when other people find success or when God blesses or God works in and through someone else? How do we respond to that? Well, it might be a good diagnosis of, or an indicator of pride in our life if we're not responding with, man, I am so happy for them. I'm so happy. Man, I, I hope God does that in my life, but I'm so happy that God did that for them or in and through them. So how do we respond many times will help us to diagnose pride. Okay, but how do we fight pride? And if we, if we get introspective and we start to look, well, man, I, I don't really respond correctly in some of these different ways. Well, then how do we fight it? How do we, how do we go up against it? Well, how did John the Baptist, I think, in a great position where he could have said, he could have said, yeah, I know. Why are they following him? I mean, don't you know I've been doing, I was doing this three years prior to him doing this. Like why, do, right? He could, he could have responded in a lot of different ways. How could he remain humble when his disciples came to him with this news about everyone flocking to Jesus? Here's what I see in John the Baptist's humble response. He knows, he, he knew who he, who Jesus was. And he knew who he was. Really, that's what it came down to. He knew who who Jesus was, and he he knew who he was. So how can we consistently fight pride in our lives? First of all, we need to know and consistently recognize who God is. And then know and consistently recognize who we really are. Every single day. When we fully understand and recognize who God is and who we are before him, it will constantly remind us it's not about me. It's about him. Think of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter six, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. He saw his glory up there and he heard his voice, whom shall I send? Like I, you look at uh, Isaiah six, he saw an amazing thing and it didn't make him go, oh man, I am something else because God is showing me this. No, when he truly saw who God was and recognized God for all that he was, his words were, woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I mean, he recognized who God was and and then he recognized who he was. And it drew him to when God said, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? He's like, I'll do it. I surrender. You are God. I am nothing. 
But if you need someone, I'll do it because it's gonna be you through me. I'll do it. Man, when we fully understand and recognize who God is and who we are before him, it will constantly remind us, it's not about me, it's about him. It's, uh, it's said that during the Roman Empire, during the Roman Empire, whenever they had great victories in war, uh, they would often throw a parade of some sorts. <laughs> Uh, Romans, they were all about, you know, like, let's celebrate how big we are. I, I keep saying this when we're going through the book of Acts over there at Rich Point, uh, where the Ro- Romans, it was so Roman of them to flaunt their strength, okay? Like, when they sent Paul from Jerusalem to Caesarea, they didn't need as, as many people. I mean, they sent 472 soldiers with them. They didn't need that for this little crooked-nosed preacher boy, okay? But they were like, oh, we're Rome, okay? So just like Rome in in great fashion, they would put on these parades every time they had these victories. And whoever the leading general of the army that won that battle was, was normally like the person that the parade was pointing toward. And they were sitting or standing in a chariot of some kind or or on some, on some horse, whatever the case might be, going forward and all the people lining the streets would be cheering and pointing and looking right toward that man. But this is what I think is interesting. It said that although most wouldn't have even noticed, there was always right behind that leading general or whoever was that uh, leader in the parade, there would be an aide or a servant right behind the leader saying over and over and over in the leader's ear, memento mori, memento mori. What does memento mori mean? It means remember you have to die. Remember, you're just a man. Remember, you're immortal. (laughs) I know what's taking place right now. They're looking at you. They're lifting you up. They're singing your praises in the streets. But remember, you have to die. You're mortal. Remember, you're not a god. (laughs) This isn't about you. For them, this this is about the Roman Empire as a whole. You're just a player in that. Remember, you're mortal. Remember, you have to die. Memento mori. Memento mori. Memento mori. They needed the reminder, hey, you're just a man. Friends, I'm here to tell us tonight, we also need a consistent reminder that we are nothing. We're nothing. But for the grace of God, we are nothing and can do nothing apart from him. So, Get over yourself. (laughs) It's not about you. It's about him. He must increase. I must decrease. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.